it is such a blessing to be with you, my Applewood family, and to be seeing you once again from, from this vantage point. I have, oh, I, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know me. Just in case, I was pastor here for 22 years, and, and then I stepped away from that a year ago in January, and uh, it is just so much fun to be here. I have loved, and I think most of you have as well, I don't go around asking, but I've loved Dave's presence here with us. Oh my gosh. His, uh, his heart, his passion, his energy. Good grief, where does that man get so much energy? And of course, his, his great passion for all things kingdom of God. Yes. And, and if Dave is nothing else, he's persistent. He has, he's asked me a couple, three times in this past year if I would want to preach when he's away. And, and I, I honestly, I've just, I, I felt like it was a little too soon. Just felt, I prayed about it, felt like it was a little too soon. And so when he asked me about preaching today, I liked the idea. It's like, oh yeah. But then I realized that Teresa and I were supposed to be gone this Sunday. Uh, we were on our way to, originally to Arizona to uh, visit Steve and Kathy Baumgart. And I came down with the crud that continues to just kind of resurface in my life every three or four weeks and didn't know if we should expose them. And so we talked to them and Cappy had been dealing with some of the same crud recycling again in her life. So we decided not to go. And I wasn't going to preach because originally I just wouldn't have had sermon prep time. So I immediately get a text. It's from Dave. Well, you're not going to be gone. <laughs> I said, all right, um, I'm in, Dave. I am in. So what I want to do this morning in this sermon, which, by the way, might be a gift to you that I never gave to you in 22-plus years. It, it might be short. <laughs> I know, I know. Who is that man, and, and what did you do with the, the original issue, right? But I want to... I want to cover some familiar material as we prepare for communion this morning. The observance of communion is interesting, isn't it? Across church traditions, we do it monthly. I think probably most covenant churches, those that are in our, our denomination, they most of them do it monthly. Some do it more, some may do it less. There are some traditions where the Lord's Supper is celebrated quarterly. There are some traditions that celebrate it every single Sunday. Um, I tend to come down on, how's this for a non-committal statement? It is incredibly important as the people of God to celebrate the Lord's Supper, do it often. And there you go. But it's interesting, isn't it? But I think that in all of that discussion and the dynamics that kind of weigh in on, well, when do we do it? How do we do it? Should we do it then? Should we not? I think what gets lost is what is at the heart of communion. So 
I'm going to uh, use my, my spiritual gift this morning. Most of you know that's pointing out the obvious. And I'm going to do that in copious ways this morning. Pointing out the obvious, reminding us about things that we already know, but I think are, as followers of Jesus, foundational truths, and in specifically one foundational truth that needs to be front and center in a daily walk with Christ. And this table reminds us of that. So let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful for this church family. So grateful for your amazing love and amazing grace that we not only sing about, but we experience flowing into our lives. We experience your faithfulness and your abundance to us in so many, many ways. And we thank you for the opportunity to come to this table this morning. Admittedly, oh Lord, this table is familiar for many, many of us. Some of us have been celebrating communion since we were young children. And what we hope this morning is that through familiar words, the truth of your word, that our hearts will be stirred and that we will be people who live into, more and more, live into the truth of what this table stands for. We ask your blessing upon our time together and thank you so much again for this opportunity in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Ever hear those words before? They, They look a little familiar, right? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right. Some of the language that Paul included in instructions for sharing the Lord's Supper in his letter to the Corinthian believers. Forgive me if I keep playing with these. They want to slide off. Maybe my head has shrunk. I don't know. So, all right. Would you stand with me and let's read together. Sometimes referred to as the words of institution in church circles. Paul's words to the Corinthians in kind of the middle of the 11th chapter uh, where all else is just trouble around these words. Here we go. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and and be seated. Familiar words? We find these words in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a kind of similar version of Jesus' words regarding the bread and the cup. Take, eat, this is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
all of those are kind of pulled together in these words that, that Paul uses and words that we use as institution coming from the three Gospels. John doesn't really do much with this instance in Jesus' life. You might remember that he zeroes in on Jesus washing the feet of his followers in John chapter 13. I think that plays a significant role in terms of what all of the disciples understood or were learning to understand about these words of institution, the bread and the cup. Words of incredible mystery and truth. An invitation from the heart of God. And so when we come to the table this morning and, and any time we celebrate communion as followers of Jesus, this is not just bread and juice. Although it is just bread and juice, it is not just bread and juice. There, there is a mystery here. A mystery that I think is found in the heart of God and that is communicated through His Son to those who love Him and follow Him. How many of you have been observing communion since you were that big? Oh my. Yeah. Do you think it's an institution of the church? Yeah, it really is. In in all traditions, across traditions, despite what I said about how many times do we celebrate it and when does that happen, nobody, for the most part, disputes the importance of communion in the life of the church. But here's what really grabbed me this week. It's that final sentence that we read together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I don't know how many times in my life I've either heard that or I've said that. Same is probably true for many of you. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Remember, you, there, is plural. It's always plural. In the Gospels and in the Epistles, unless an individual is just speaking specifically to one person, you is always plural. So there's an assumption there that God's people are going to come together and they're going to eat this bread and this cup and they are going to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Words of institution. The word proclaim. The Greek word for proclaim is to make a, a public statement. It is a public proclamation. Some translators use it as to declare, to announce, to make known. It's referring to an intentional action. It's not something that just happens by accident, but it's something that a person understands is important and makes a public Got it? So far, so good? So let me ask you. Who spoke these words? Yeah, Paul. You think Jesus at first. I think Jesus at first. And then I remember 
we're reminded by the quotation marks that this is commentary from Paul. Paul quotes the words of Jesus regarding the bread, regarding the cup, and then he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul's words. Okay, can we take a minute or two and do something we did a lot in 20 plus years? You've missed it, right? Yeah. Well, let's just have a little discussion around this. So find someone nearby and talk with them. Why did Paul include these words? Why are these words important? You don't get to say something like, well, they're important because they're in the Bible. Of course they're important because they're in the Bible. But specifically, why was Paul saying this? What's going on? Go ahead. Talk with someone just for a minute. See if you get some ideas. Okay. True confessions. You want to hear a duh statement right here? There is a TV monitor right there on that back wall. And, and I can use that. I'm so used to turning. <laughs> there they are, right there. All right. Did you have a little discussion together? What do you think's going on? Don't everybody speak at once. Plenty of time. Sam, do tell. Okay. Okay. No, no, I'm sorry. We can't take questions during this time, Sam. Go for it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, that's a great question. I, I, I think I'll work my way around to that. Dixie. Okay. Good spin. Jesus is coming back. You know, and, and do you ever think to yourself, oh man, that those poor apostles, because they really believed that he was coming back soon. Well, <laughs> God's definition of soon is not ours. But yeah, excellent point. What else? What else did you come up with? He was instructing them. They're, they're, the, the Corinthians, and, and you know this if you've read 1 Corinthians, second letter is, is very similar. The Corinthians were a mess. You have an opportunity, maybe later today, read the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 11, and you'll, you'll understand a bit more of the, the immediate context of Paul's instructions about communion to the Corinthian church. Now remember, it was not uncommon in the early church, particularly in the first and second centuries, believers would get together and they would share, as Acts 2 and 4 reminds us, they share whatever they had in common. And and in that sharing, there were those who had less that were blessed by receiving something. Oftentimes it was just a, a good meal there were those who had more who were blessed because they they gave. They recognized what they had being from the hand of the Lord 
and shared it with those who had less. And it was not uncommon in the earliest glimpses that we have of the church and some of the the extra-biblical documents confirm that the Jews were in the habit of of gathering together for for love feasts, what were known as love feasts. And and they would have as, as much food as people could bring to that. And they would celebrate the goodness of God, the love of God for them. And as the Christians began to influence that, it became more and more a celebration of the love of God made manifest to them in Christ Jesus. And these were significantly different and divided kinds of people. There were rich and there were poor. There were slave. There was free. The typical kinds of barriers that would would keep people apart would keep people from interacting with one another beyond anything more of just a a, a kind of a duty, if you will, a prescriptive type of relationship. Uh, Nothing of really knowing and being known, of, of being intimate in terms of relationships with one another. The very kind of thing that Jesus intends for his church to be. I think that these are significant times of witness in our culture today because the early church, as it grew in numbers, attracted all kinds of people. Acts 2 tells us that God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved, those who were being drawn in I think it's important for us to hear Paul's words. Uh, The table, the bread, and the cup. Proclaim, announce, declare, make known. Uh, These words tell us that, that we are to be specifically concerned, if I can say it that way, not to the neglect of others, but I guess maybe what I'm trying to say is perhaps this one gets elevated above so many of the other truths that are important and transformative for us as God's people, the teachings of Jesus. Paul doesn't say, you proclaim the teachings of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Paul doesn't say, you proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. The life of Jesus, his his example. Paul doesn't say that. Paul zeroes in and says, you proclaim the death of our Lord until He comes again, until He returns. Sam, in answer to your question, I would much rather celebrate and talk about the resurrection. And I think that's probably pretty common to most of us. Who wants to talk about death? Who wants to zero in on the sufferings of Jesus? But yet in this season of Lent, many of us are doing that again and again and again, being reminded of the sufferings that were necessary in leading to the death of Jesus, the Savior whom we celebrate in this season of Lent. 
bit of a rabbit trail. We live in troubled times. We live in divided times. I'm not sure that the church has ever been so divided and we align ourselves behind certain beliefs. We align ourselves with certain positions, certain leaders. My goodness, I don't know why I did it this week, but I went on YouTube. Don't go to YouTube unless you know specifically what you're looking for. I was just, I was just kind of curious, you know, churches and, 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 and what's going on in certain churches. And you hear the names of certain churches. They, they make the Christian airwaves a lot. And, and some churches, unfortunately, make the, the, the headlines a lot. And that's never a real positive thing. There is so much crap. Can I say that in church? So much. And, and, and we are, we, we, collectively we, we seem to be far more important about ratting out someone who we pretty, are pretty certain that, that they're not really teaching the truth versus celebrating perhaps what God is doing in our lives. That make sense? There is so much zeroing in on who's right and who's wrong? And don't hear me saying that the truth is not important. Paul was very concerned about the truth. But in this text, he's very concerned about one specific truth. And that is that God's people understand the importance of the death of Jesus Christ. We tend, can I say it this way? We tend to forget or, or at least minimize. And I believe that it's Often unintentional, but maybe sometimes not. The central, pivotal, life-changing truth of our faith is a suffering, crucified Savior sent to die a horrific death because of God's amazing love and grace, which is represented at this table. Remember, copious use of my spiritual gift pointing out what you already know. Brothers and sisters, this is so key. This table stands for a simply amazing, astounding, mysterious, wonderful, can we just pile on a whole lot more adjectives? Truth. Jesus came to earth to die for the sins of humanity. It's old news, right? Of course it is. It's good news. It's old news. It's good news. It is the news. So let me ask you, how often, how often do you and I think about the truth, the truth that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, left His throne in glory and took on human flesh so that He might live as a man and do the only thing possible that can save us back into the relationship of love and intimacy with God for which we were created. That only thing is death. You remember He wrote to the Philippians, marveling at the truth of what Jesus did. 
He humbled himself and gave himself over to death. Even, writes Paul, even death on a cross. Man, couldn't they just shove a spear in his heart? Couldn't they just behead him? That was common in those days. But no, you know the truth. The Roman Empire crucified criminals. The eternal Son of God went to the cross and died a criminal's death for you and for me. The table this morning stands as a reminder to us of this mystery of the ages. God sent His dearly loved Son to save us from ourselves. I had a problem. You had a problem. The truth is, I'd like to make more of your problems than my problems, but Scripture doesn't give me the right to do that. The problem is sin. Slice it and dice it any way you want. God died for us on that cross to save us from self. Because self, in the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament where we develop more of our our theology, self is always the issue. Why does Paul talk so much about death to self and life in Christ? I've been crucified in Christ and I no longer live. Paul in Romans talks much about the, the, the flesh and its need to die. It's self. Jesus came to save us from ourselves and to release us and empower us into a life of serving others. And in particular, in this letter, he has the one another's in mind. So here I go on a soapbox that I had for a long, long time. There is nothing more important to the divided, hurting world in which we find ourselves living than God's people loving one another because they are just amazed and overwhelmed and in awe that God would send His Son to die for them. Again, we know this so well, but but how many times do you find yourselves thinking about this truth? How many times do we do we share this truth with one another? This table stands to remind us of the mystery of the ages. That God didn't intervene to save a bunch of nice people. He intervened to to save what Paul uses in Ephesian language, by nature, objects of wrath, those people. Wow. From object of wrath to dearly loved child. Impossible. Apart from the death of Jesus. Do we talk about it with one another? Do we remind one another? Do we see one another as, as 
as unworthy as, as we? Do we see ourselves unworthy? And yet, Christ, through the love of God, has made us worthy. It is central to the gospel that we believe. I know many of you have heard these words of Charles Spurgeon, 19th century English preacher, but this is so perfect. He says, we do not subscribe to the lax theology. As God's people, the lax theology that we do not describe to, which, 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 which teaches that the Lord Jesus did something or other, which in some way or other, is in some degree or other, connected with the salvation of humanity. No. He says, we, we hold as vital truth that he stood in his people's stead and for them endured a death which honored the justice of God and satisfied his righteous laws. We firmly believe that he bore the penalty due to sin. So the center of our faith, says Spurgeon, is the cross. The central thought of the whole of Christianity is Christ. And the great point in Christ's history is his crucifixion. We preach Christ. But more than that, we preach him crucified. I've often thought this week about Dave's emphasis. Last week he reminded us of tapanta, the Greek phrase for all things or, or all the thing, if you will. All things, the supremacy of Christ over everything. He is supreme and has authority over everything. And that is made possible because of the death followed by the resurrection of Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians that God exalted him to the highest place. To have the name that is above every name. And that one day every knee and every tongue shall confess. Every knee will bow. Admitting that Jesus is truly Lord. Let me read from Colossians chapter 1, verses that we heard last week as we turn our attention to the table this morning. Paul writes that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's first century language that talks about all the rights and the privileges that were bestowed upon the Son. For in Him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, listen closely, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 